I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 199. Welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. This week's song, I Will Find a Way by Jason Gray, was a request by my listener, Stephanie. And I loved the depth of it immediately after listening to it. And then I just stuck it on my list for December. So then when I pulled it out to begin working on what I would share with you, I had no idea it would creep into the crevices of my mind. And hopefully I can do it and the Word of God justice uh, as we discuss it further today. Now, you you know that I normally don't care too much about the song as long as it just launches us into Scripture. And the song becomes a tool to then reflect on scripture. But if it leads us anywhere than to the heart of God and his word, then it's just entertainment. And for the purposes of this podcast, not really what I'm after. So again, normally I don't spend too much time on the song itself. But this week, you're really going to benefit from the background, from the story behind the song. It will help it come to life for you. And then when we consider the themes and the areas of scripture that this song leads us to consider... Um, it will really, again, be be that tool that I've always talked about, just using it to help you reflect. Now, the song is based on a short story written by Walt Wangerin Jr. and is found in his book, Ragman and Other Cries of Faith. I went ahead and got the book, and I'm so glad I did. His style is completely different than what I normally read, but I've been completely drawn in, so I recommend it. And then the song is based on his short story entitled An Advent Monologue. And while there are several places that you can actually find it online, I don't feel comfortable linking to any of those because it's a copywritten um, uh, article, a copywritten story, and it's found in his book. So I suggest you go get the book. However, I do want to describe parts of the story to you, which honestly, if you listen to the song, reflects the story quite well. And the story begins like this. I love a child, but she is afraid of me. I want to help this child so terribly in need of help, for she is hungry. Her cheeks are sunken to the bone, but she knows little of food, less of nutrition. I know both these things. She is cold and she is dirty. She lives at the end of a tattered hallway, three flights up in a tenement whose landlord long forgot the human bodies huddled in that place. But I know how to build a fire, and I know how to wash a face. All right, our story calls her a child, and we see as we keep reading that she's actually a young woman. She has been terribly treated and abused, and now she is locked in a room in fear at the end of a tenement hall. And the protagonist of the story wants to help her, and he writes, she is hiding. If I could but see her face and kiss it, why, I could draw the loneliness out of her. And he goes on to say, I love the child, but she is afraid of me. 
Now, let me stop here and say that the first time I, I heard the song and, and listened to it, um, I just took it at, at face value, the story of an abused girl locked in her room. And the more, and then, and kind of like the song kind of projects that protagonist, that loving father who wants to uh, draw her out of her fear. But the more I listened to it, and after I read through the story, I began to picture all of humankind as that scared, abused girl. So many out there are abused and mistreated and hiding. And if they knew enough really to understand what they're feeling, afraid of the very God who loves them and wants to rescue them um, on a good day, on a bad day, they just blame him. But perhaps that's you. Perhaps somehow you stumbled onto this podcast and you're not sure what to think of God or the Bible. So let's just keep listening to the story. Then how can I come to her to feed and to heal her by my love? Knock on the door? Enter the common way? No. She holds her breath at a gentle tap, pretending that she is not home. How should I come to the one I I will find a way. We see that the one who loves the child is seeking a way that he will be welcomed into her locked world, her world of fear and distrust. How can he break through those walls in her heart and in her mind? Does he break down the door knowing that is what's best for her? Does he ride in on a white horse or a political party ticket? Uh, let's just keep listening. I've called from the hall, I've sung her name through cracks in the plaster, but I have a bright trumpet of a voice, and she covers her ears and weeps. She thinks each word an accusation. Isn't it funny how the tone of voice can make a difference? My 10-year-old Meredith told me that she doesn't like it when her father wakes her up because he comes in and says, Meredith, it's morning, time to wake up. And when I do it, I say, Meredith, it's morning, time to wake up. (laughs) His bright trumpet of a voice startles her and doesn't give her the warm morning feelings that she's after. Has this ever happened to you? You pick up God's word, expecting to hear a gentle voice, but instead envision a bright trumpet voice, and it startles you and you set it down and stay locked behind the door of your fear and shame and uncertainty. She is, you see, her own deepest hiding place, and fear and death are the truest doors against me. Then what is left? How can I come to my beloved? Where's the entrance that will not frighten nor kill her? By what door can love arrive after all, truly to nurture her, to take the loneliness away, to make her beautiful, as lovely as my moon at night, my sun come morning? No hiding place ever kept her safe, so she hides inside herself. Now to reach her heart, the only way is to hide in there as well. Oh, I will hide in there as well. The story goes on to link us to the greatest love story of all time. God coming to earth as a baby. The protagonist decides she will not fear a baby growing in her own womb. She'll have time to connect and to love him. She'll have a reason to wash her face and she'll have a purpose when she takes care of the baby. So this links to Mary, of course, but more to what Mary represents. All of humankind 
who can take Christ the Savior into their hearts in a deeply personal way until we feel loved and full of purpose. I'm doing soon you will see. I'm coming among you, my name shall be. It's such a moving story, isn't it? That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that he would come not as a king on a white horse, but as a baby born in the care of a young virgin, not for her glory, but for God's glory alone, all because we were in bondage and he came to set us free. He found a way. And the last phrases of the song lead us to scripture. It leads us to Isaiah forty-three nineteen where it says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I've spent the rest of my time this week, my, my time in scripture in Isaiah 43. I went ahead and read it in context. I read the chapter before and into the chapters after. I have to admit that much of the time when I pick up Isaiah, I kind of get stuck in it, but perhaps I've been reading it as though it is in God's trumpet voice and I shrink back from what he's really trying to say. So as we begin to explore Isaiah 43, consider these Bible interaction tool exercises. I call them bites, B-I-T-E, Bible interaction tool exercises. They help me take a bite out of God's word in varied ways. And this week, I've already mentioned my favorite bite of all time, reading in context. Make this one thing a habit, and you will consume more of God's word than ever before. Reading in context means simply that you are drawn, if you're drawn to an area of scripture by a sermon or a podcast or a devotion, a song, a social media post, any reason, instead of merely reading one verse and then moving on or even a few, go ahead and read the whole chapter or even the chapter before and after to really understand the context of what's happening. Then the other bite that really helped me this week is reading the text out loud. Much of these chapters are direct words from God, and I began to ask myself, have I been reading them with a trumpet voice or as a loving father? Because like in the morning light, with his hand on my back, slowly rubbing, saying, wake up, Michelle. In Isaiah 43, he assures me of these things. Read it. You'll see these things. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You are precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I, and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declared the Lord, that I am God. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. He found a way. He made a way. And I know, like my daughter Meredith, we want the soft voice. And maybe the voice is still soft and kind when he tells us this in verse 22. Yet, you have not called on me, Jacob. You've not wearied yourself for me, Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. 
I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You have not bought any fragrant calamus for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins, and wearied me with your offenses. I don't want to burden my father, who is just trying to free me from the fear and bondage that the enemy has placed me in. There's something profound in the song and the story and the scripture It's really jumped out at me this week. In the story, it says, she feels unworthy of polite society and loud, imperious bangings would only send her into shivering tears for police and bill collectors have troubled her in the past. She's suffered at the hands of kindless men. The song lyrics say many thieves and collectors have used that door, but they only brought her shame so she won't even open it anymore. Still, I will find a way. The scripture in Isaiah 42 says this is a people plundered and looted, all of them trapped in pits or hidden away in prisons. They have become plunder with no one to rescue them. They have been made loot. Who are the thieves and collectors? Who traps us in pits and loots us? I couldn't help but be drawn to 2 Peter chapter 2. I hope you'll read the entire thing. But he is speaking of false prophets and teachers. In the, di- in the days of Isaiah, it was idols and idol makers. When you read in context in Isaiah, you will see God is not keen on idols and idol makers. <clears throat> they are false gods and they're leading down a, a path that does not lead to the one who has made a way. And similarly, in the New Testament, it is false teachers and false prophets. And this is how they're described in Second Peter 2. Starting in verse 17, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And so we don't know who to believe. We're broken and we're scared and we're hiding in our own prison thinking we're safe or jumping into slavery and corruption with both feet and being enslaved by that. But God made a way right after he shares with us that we burden and weary him with our own sins. He declares this, I, even that I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. He did this through his son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the word made flesh, Jesus. And John describes him this way. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God made a way through an infant baby on Christmas night. So what's next? Well, read 
Isaiah 43. And if you're up for it, read Isaiah 42 through 45 or even greater context. You're not going to ever waste time in God's word. Read it out loud and picture the voice of a father who is seeking to make a way to consider a vivid description of the destructive nature of false teachers. Head over to second Peter chapter two and then ask yourself, why, why do we sit in bondage to this when we have the true light of the world who came for us? God made a way. And while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneezat.com. You can hop on Twitter at michellekneezat or Facebook, Michelle L. Nizat. Let's talk about what you're learning. Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank the premier Christian music streaming service, theoverflow.com, for pointing their subscribers to this podcast, but more importantly, pointing them to God's word through music. When you subscribe to their trial, you will receive a 10-day series of devotions I wrote based on some of my most popular podcast episodes. So I encourage you to check them out at theoverflow.com. I also want to thank my newest subscribers to my website, like Christine from Texas, Rhonda from Alberta, Canada, and Royal from Nebraska. Welcome. Now, new subscribers to my website benefit a few ways. First of all, you'll get an email that I send once a week. And in that email, you will get a weekly memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, tablet, desktop, or you can print it out. You'll also get an email recap of the week's episode, and you get instant access to any of the resources I create for my episodes um, from time to time. And all of that is just my way of saying thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneezat.com to subscribe today. Now, don't miss an episode of my podcast. You can subscribe directly in iTunes or Stitcher Radio. While you're there, would you please leave me a written review and a star rating? This not only encourages me, but helps me stay visible to new listeners. And as always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using How Many Kings by Down Here to jump into scripture. If you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneezat.com forward slash 199. And while you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.